0: You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, greetings, everyone. You're listening to another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm your host, Doug Thorpe. We're here today to talk about all different aspects of business and ideas that can help you as an owner or a leader do more with the team and the business that you've got responsibility for. My guest today is a gentleman who's going to describe to us his own brand of a five-pillar business model that uh, will hopefully give you some ideas and insights into strengthening and improving your own business. His name is Steve Preda. Steve, welcome to the show. Doug, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yes. And uh, I, I always like to ask the question, where in the world are you calling from? (laughs) <laughs> I'm calling from uh, Central Virginia, just outside of okay. Richmond. Okay.
1: Uh but my accent gives me away. So I moved here 10 years ago from Hungary in Central Europe.
0: I wondered, I wondered as we say here, uh, I'm I'm down in the Houston area and it sounds like you're from East Texas. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I like to say it's a far east end of uh, Richmond.
0: That's a, that's a local basically
1: joke. basically the same thing.
0: That's a local <laughs> joke. Okay. Well, uh, again, welcome to the show and glad you're here with us. So tell us a little bit about your backstory. What's your journey been like? Uh, how did you get to the place you are now business-wise? And somewhere along the way, how'd you come up with the idea for the book and the program that you're uh, uh, sharing?
1: Yeah, so in my previous life, uh, you know, as far as I know, uh, I've been conscious, let's say 10, 10 years old, I've been uh, dreaming about becoming an entrepreneur. Uh, my parents were both doctors, but my great grandfather was a very successful baker. He built a baker business in Budapest before the war. And I always heard stories about his Reacts to Riches um, journey. So I kind of uh, wanted to. Uh, to go that direction. And when I was 35 years old, I was in banking, accounting, I studied, worked in different European countries. And uh, when I was 35, I started building my own business, which was an investment banking. And we had a good run. Uh, We also had some challenges, especially around 2008. We almost uh, went out of business. And then I picked up a copy of uh, Gino Wickman's Traction, which talked about uh, this business operating system I also read the E myth from Michael Gerber earlier, and uh, I really like this this kind of system. So I implemented it, and it really helped our our company get through uh, the uh, the difficult times. And eventually, I sold the business to Private Equity Group, and we moved here. And then I started uh, first working with peer groups, and uh, but I, it, you know, the traction idea kept coming back. So about five years ago, I started. Uh, implementing traction for other companies. And then um, then I, about two years ago, uh, a group of people left uh, EOS, uh, the EOS World, the Entrepreneur Operating System. Uh, people who felt that it was too constrained, it was too cookie cutter. So we left and uh, um, I joined this organization called Pinnacle Business Guides. And uh, we started uh, building our own system and Last year, I had this idea. I went to the founder of, of Pinnacle that I want to write this grow. I write this book about Pinnacle. I, I want you know want to dig deeper what it is, how we're gonna do do it, how we are different, and he agreed. So I've written this book, and he joined me as a co-author uh, of this book. And what Pinnacle is, if uh, the if your listeners are familiar with EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system, so Pinnacle is a way to. Uh, to, uh, to do three things um, beyond what EOS has done. First one is to bring it up to date because EOS was created about 20 years ago and it's been uh, uh, pretty constant, uh, which is its strength as well. But we felt that there are so many good ideas come in. No one has a market corner for good ideas. So we felt that uh, there is time for a facelift. Secondly, um, we wanted a system which is customizable, not cookie cutter. Uh, we, because every company is unique and we want to meet every business owner uh on their journey or the unique journey where they are yeah um, so, so customizable and the third one is scalable so this is not a limited this is not an 18 months to 24 months journey this is this is an infinite uh, journey we start wherever the company is we implement the basic uh, um tools that you know all our uh, forebears came up with starting with uh, Jim Collins and Michael Gerber and uh, Jack Stacks and Ver Harnish and Gino Wickman, And we also in, uh, kind of um, curate all the new tools that are coming in and we bring them to our uh, clients so that they can keep ascending to the top of the
0: mountain. Right. Neat. Well, I like the idea that uh, there are great and wonderful business principles that are taught in they, they kind of get ingrained in the vocabulary and vernacular of the day. And, you know, 10, 20 years later, people are still talking about them, but to your point, you know, business continues to change almost daily and evolve. And so it is always fresh to, uh, or, or a good idea to refresh some of those old ideas and see what, uh, What can fit? So let's hit real quick, just at a really high level. We'll we'll drill into detail later, but what what are the five principles that are in the pinnacle model?
1: So the five principles, each of them starts with a P. Um, so first one is people. That's where we start. Since Jim Collins, first get the right people in the bus, put them in the right seats, uh figure out where to go. And next one is purpose. So what is uh, where we're going, what is our why, what is our vision, what is our strategy, how do we align everyone around that. Then we have to define our playbooks uh, because that's the only way to, uh, to keep growing. If uh, everything that's repeatable, we turn it into a playbook and we give it to people who have less experience and intuition than we have. Um, and then we wanna make sure that it's performance, that everyone is performing in the organization at a high level. We have a strategic planning process. We are setting goals. We are uh, quarterly refreshing the goals. We have metrics for everyone in the organization. We have a meeting structure to make sure everyone is uh, exercising peer accountability. And finally, the profit. So profit is the byproduct of all these P's, the people, the purpose, the playbooks, the performance. But it's also a measuring stick. So we want to make sure that we are benchmarking ourselves to the best companies in our industry, and we strive to achieve our uh, top-of-the-line profitability, and then sustain it over time by digging a moat around our business and creating a strategy stack that cements in our advantage in the market.
0: I'm I'm always intrigued. How many I can't tell you how many models I've run into that have the the p alliteration. There's a. <laughs> A colleague of mine and I wrote a uh, something we call the team trust model. It's a six part model, but they're all six parts or P words and uh, very similar in many ways to to yours, but I'm not going to digress and get into that right now. If anybody's looking for that, they can find it in all my other uh, articles and blog posts. Um, It's called the team trust model. But as you... um, Kind of pull this together. I, I do see just from your outline there. I see a lot of the corollary with EOS because um, in the entrepreneur operating system there is a reference to many of those same things. Let's um, let's start with the uh, what I think a lot of people would agree is the tricky one. What about the people process? What are you? encouraging owners to think about when they consider the people that they're looking for on their team?
1: So the first thing is that you want to
0: make sure that
1: you articulate your culture. What are your core values um, that uh, that embody your your specific unique culture and you, you want to find the people that actually embrace those core values, that resonate with those core values. Um, so that's really important, and that's that's a way for for the business owner and the founders to essentially uh, uh, inject the, their personal values into the DNA of the company. So you can perpet- they can perpetuate the values of of the founders that typically uh, um, you know determine this. And then the next one is to figure out what this business needs. What are those major functions that you have to operate in the business and and when you're you're a founder, first you wear all the hats, but we only have 24 hours a day. So you have to start shedding those hats and what are gonna be those major functions and how do you find the right person who uh, fits your core values and who can execute on those functions and deliver the outcomes that you need for those functions, the sales functions, operations, uh, finance, administration, whatever they are for your business marketing. So that's, uh, that's the second thing. And and then we have a tool we call the um, the talent assessment where we rate people. Okay. If you, if you are nine or 10 on both culture fit and productivity, you are an A player. And then you're a little below then you're an A potential. And if you are low on culture fit, but high on productivity, then you are, we call you a crank. Uh, you, you are, you know, you are uh, delivering, but uh, people don't like to work with you or you undermine our, our culture. If you are great on, on, on culture fit, but you're not productive, then then we call you a, a camper. Um, you know, it's great to have a beer with you around the campfire, but you're not going to build the, the tents and you're not going to pick the firewood or cook dinner. So the talent assessment, and, and then we talk about how do you coach your A potential. So uh, the emphasis in let's coach the A potential so that they can, they become A players and let's grow the company so the A players are going to have somewhere to go. Um, and let's not drain our energy by trying to fix the B and B, C players um, because they probably, uh, it's not the right home for them.
0: Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's
1: basically the people, right people, right seats and then creating a culture of coaching and mentoring in the organization.
0: Yeah. And I think it goes without saying, in, in most small businesses, the classic, uh, what we down here call the mom and pop shop, they they open up the business and they might be relying on family and friends to fill some of those jobs they've got because number one, they're available. They're likely cheap. They don't have to pay them as much. They're willing to help for their, their friends. And but they the problem is they're also not necessarily the best fit for the job they're they're yes they're getting some work done but as as wickman did in the eos he is keen on encouraging owners to define the job first and then go find the person and don't make a job fit a person but find a person that fits the job so I think that's a huge element when I see a lot of entrepreneurs get kind of stuck in that that mode.
1: Yeah, because you start the business with people that you trust, they trust you, and it's kind of a family. Um, and then as you grow the business, you try to um, you know, find a place for them, even if they don't uh, fit. Or if they leave, then you try to replace that person rather than uh, find the ideal person for the function that the business needs. Yeah. And that, that tends to be a big uh, mistake.
0: Yeah. So let's move over to the the purpose pillar. Um, how do you typically help people do the work to define what their purpose ought to be about? So again, it's, it's a purpose.
1: Of, it's a process of discovery. And the goal of doing that is really to connect people um, to a bigger uh, goal in the company. It's it's a huge opportunity that many businesses uh, don't uh, leverage, don't utilize, is to have people be excited for what you do, uh, the societal benefit that your company is uh, generating. Because if you can do that, then people will find their job much more meaningful, they're gonna be prouder, uh, to work for your organization. And then they are going to bring their energy, their emotional energy to, to bear. It's not just going to be a job for them anymore, but they're going to be on a mission for you. Uh, they're going to be a missionary rather than a mercenary, as Jeff Bezos says it, uh, for the business. So that's kind of the the um, uh, the idea. And, you know, Peter Drucker talked about this back in the 1950s, that every business, uh, the, the goal of a business is not to make money, it's just a byproduct of serving a, a purpose uh, outside of itself uh, for other people. So that's what we're trying to find. Um, and so we, we start with, with this core purpose or just cause or, or the why of the business, which maybe if you're 50 100 years out, it may be a really long term thing but it's a, it's a big idea. Um, and and I like to illustrate this like if you have a mountain you're climbing that mountain you're the to- the pinnacle of that mountain is your long-term goal big long-term goal then uh, your purpose is going to be the moon behind the mountain so it's it's not connected it's it's far out there uh, so we start with this moon uh, figuring out what this why is and for example I, I I just got off the phone with one of my clients who run a contracting company for energy efficiency and their uh, purpose is they want to advance life at home. Um, they want to make sure that people are more comfortable, their uh, heating and electricity cost less, and they have, uh, you know, they save the environment. So advance life at home, that's their purpose. And their big pinnacle, that's the next one, the tip top of the mountain, is to uh, convert 1 million houses into net zero so that all these houses not that burden the environment that's the pinnacle and then they have the medium term milestones along the way that they have to hit um, they have to equip themselves they have to be able to deliver all those heat pumps and the solar cells and and train their people and and create this culture and then um then the strategy is the next level down the hill and how you going to achieve those milestones how are you different so uh they figured out what their um brand promises and vonfrey strategy is and that's that's the purpose so going from the why to the pinnacle to the milestones and to uh, to your strategy and then you know where you're going how you're going to get there
0: very good and, and and you know um just speaking of those two points so we talked about the purpose and then the people and let me kind of camp out right there a minute i i think it's ...important that owners and operators of, of businesses uh, do the work on the purpose, but as they use that and they define the culture, then that really dictates a lot about the people they need to find. Because you you can do a lot of work creating a, a purpose and a definition of a culture, which ultimately drives your brand in the marketplace... But if you don't have the right people to live that brand and live that culture, you're not going to deliver on the brand. So
1: the, one of the uh, purposes of the purpose and the vision is to attract the right people, mm-hmm. especially to these day and day age. Uh, hiring is the new sales. Uh, we, we are all, you know, most companies are looking for people, the right people. It's really difficult to find good people and to keep them, those, those A players. Right. And it's much easier to do if you have a compelling uh, purpose for your business. If if you are uh, advancing life at home, if you're converting a million houses into net zero, and you have a story to tell, then then it's going to be much more exciting for people who who share your ambitions to join you.
0: Um, yeah, uh, it totally makes sense, and it. Um... Like I said, it's it's always interesting to hear a company spend money advertising what their purpose is and, and the greater good they're gonna provide for mankind. And and then you, you might go to their facility and you see people walking around that aren't anywhere close to to supporting that. You know, if if the company's made out to be like a pretty altruistic and and pretty beneficial, well, I don't want to pick on your example there, but if, if they want to do all this energy efficiency, I guess you could argue if you drove up in their parking lot and everybody was driving all these giant SUVs with gas guzzlers, that would there would be a little bit of a disconnect there in, uh, <laughs> in what That's they're right. about.
1: <laughs> so, so it's really important that it's not just articulating what your vision and strategy are, but to align the whole organization around it.
0: To I make love sure that word alignment
1: everything, you know, it's part of, part of your vehicle policy, it's part of all your tactics or your strategies, your, uh, even your office layout. So the ideal company that is all about energy efficiency, they will be a net zero office, right? And they would be able to demonstrate that here's the heat pump, here's the solar cell, here's the battery wall, and uh, and here are our electric vehicles in the in the uh, driveway. And uh, this is how we how we do this.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great, Steve. Tell you what, we're going to take a short break for a commercial message, and when we get back, we're going to round the corner and cover the other three parts of the Pinnacle model. So hang with us. We'll see you on the other side. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness, too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's DougThorpe.com. Hello again, everyone. We're back. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and today my guest is, is, uh, if I can get his name out of my mouth, uh, his name is Steve Prada. He is uh, sharing with us something called the Pinnacle Model, a five-pillar model for business efficiency and, and design. Steve, we covered the first two parts of the model. Let's dive into number three, and I love the word for it, playbook. Helping a business have a playbook on, I presume that's going to be about process, procedure, and scalability, uh, repeatability, all of those good things. You got it, Doug. So
1: it's all about uh, creating consistency and scalability in your business. It's allowing, um, creating these blueprints for people so that they can uh, execute the best practice and they can refine and optimize it over time. And then you can also relieve the people uh, at the top and at you know at medium, middle management every level of the company that they can all focus on uh, non-repeatable tasks you know creating that customer experience customer delight um, you know growing the company uh, at the strategic level finding the right people and so on. So uh, uh, our playbook model is um, is based on. Uh, this uh, based on it was catalyzed by the idea uh, that uh, uh, David Jennings uh, articulated in his book Systemology two years ago, and he, it's a fantastic book. Uh, it's essentially taking the emails to the next level and taking systemization of, of businesses to the next level. And what we uh, came up with is is a five step uh, model to uh, to create these playbooks. And the five steps are uh, are based on this idea that you can create a role separation because in the old model, you would go to your best salesperson and say, hey, uh, Mr. Salesperson, you got the best practice in our organization, please document your uh, processes because we want everyone else to sell the way you are. Now, there were two problems with this. The first of all, the salesperson, uh, May not have even been clear on how he was doing it because part of it he was doing it intuitively. Um, so, for him, the process was was natural, it was organic, it was not uh, a sequential thing. Secondly, it really didn't benefit him personally to have a process because that was his secret sauce. Uh, plus, he was too busy selling. So, he probably procrastinated on this and maybe even sabotaged it. It was not in his best <laughs> yeah. interest. Yeah. So, so what we uh, came up, what David Jennings came up with, this idea of role separation. So, why do you, uh, why didn't you just have this best practice order, this star salesperson, to just show how he does it, and then let have someone else document it, which has the added added benefit of that person will be much more system friendly, and they are going to be objective. So they're going to look with the outside eye, which is what we want because we want a layperson to be able to uh, do that. And then we relieve uh, the the pressure on that best practice owner. We just let them do their thing. uh, And we also just gonna have this part through this. So here are the five steps. The first one is to select your playbook. So what are the playbooks that you wanna start with? We like to recommend the customer journey playbook and the employee journey playbook. These are the most important ones. So select the playbooks. Second step, uh, record it. So video or audio, uh, how this is being performed. Um, you know, if if you're a construction company, put a GoPro on the helmet of the of that engineer and let them just uh, record everything they do. If you are that salesperson, then flick on the iPhone, the iPhone. You know, the voice recorder on your iPhone and just record how they make the pitch. So that's step two audio or video recording. Step three, uh, document that pr- uh, process This playbook. So here, here is where our observer comes in. They take the recording, they watch the person, they document, okay, what are step one, two, three, four, five, what are the bullet points? It's uh, so a simple checklist uh, form of uh, documentation. Step number four, review it. So send it to the people who can give input, the best practice owner, the leadership team members, whoever else has, a, has an input, let them critique it, let them sign off on it. That's step four. And step five, activate. So put it in your uh, playbook um, the repository, You know, inform everyone, announce it that now we have a playbook and then you've got your playbook. And uh, basically this removes all the uh, friction from creating playbooks because you have a person who just does it as a job you have a champion who makes sure it happens and everyone just uh, delivers their best practice.
0: That's great. And then that becomes uh, the the optimum resource for uh, indoctrinating new employees, bringing bringing new talent in, moving people around between jobs if the company's big enough and you you have to break all that down. And then also you've got a good framework for improvement over time. If you discover a, a new option or a new alternative for a step in your process, maybe you change out a system that's part, you know, you've got to do the update there, but it becomes much more of a plug and play solution to maintain that optimization rather than figuring out how to start from scratch. Yeah, so you you first you
1: ingrain it in your organization so that everyone uses it and then you optimize it over time. So you enrich it where you need to add more steps uh, add more value, or you you simplify it, and uh, and that that becomes your your process of uh, of improving your your playbooks in the company.
0: Ultimately, it's not too different from some of the Six Sigma process improvement type methodologies. I know many years ago I was introduced to process improvement at the banking organization I was part of, and we we did a very massive initiative, we um, divided the bank up into about 16 different lines of business segments or operating units, whatever you want to call it. We assigned people to go into those units and we assigned them on the basis of they were coming from another part of the bank and had no clue what was going on in that department. And so they were true objective observers and they started doing white paper layouts of all right customer experience let's start at step one what's the first thing that happens what's next and next and next and so on and so on and when we got all those flow charts and graphs and documentation done it was pretty easy for the Objective observer to stand back and go. Well, these steps don't make any sense. Uh, why? Why do you have to do this, this, and this? And it, BPR, business process improvement. Yep. Yeah, and and ultimately, we squeezed about fifty-two million dollars out of our annual operating budget by eliminating wow. redund, redundant steps and and things that uh, did did not add value. So we streamlined a lot of things, eliminated a lot of things, and uh, uh, we we challenged a lot of people in that process, as you can imagine, because, by the way, if you got assigned to be on a work team to go into another unit, you couldn't leave your day job. You still had your day job, but you had to go do this other thing. (laughs) Right. So
1: it's never popular. Consultants are never popular. Uh, and, in well, we were in-house
0: in-house consultants is what we were so we you know we didn't get to rely on outside resources but anyway so let's talk about performance how does your model view the the subject of performance
1: so performance is is all about breaking down our our vision uh, and our strategy into an annual growth plan Quarterly, uh, we call it fast rocks. Uh, fast is a new acronym. So the old acronym is SMART. Um, most of our, our listeners probably are familiar: specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time bound. Our acronym is FAST. This is this acronym came out of a paper from MIT, 2018, and they said that what these core objectives have to be, they have to be fast, frequently reviewed, because if you just set them and put them in the drawer then we're just gonna find that uh, uh, that uh, that they are not done at the end of the quarter. So frequent review, um, A stands for ambitious rather than achievable. So achievable rocks are often sandbagged. So we don't want to sandbag, we want to move the company forward. So we want to make them ambitious. Um, S stands for specific, uh, like in smart. And then T is transparent. So the more people know about it, the more uh, powerful this peer accountability becomes. And it also aligns the company. If, if everyone in the company knows what the five rocks, five rocks for the quarter are for the company, what the priorities are, everyone can fall into line and support that. So so that's the quarterly objectives. We also, you know, we uh, we believe in creating a scoreboard because A players like to play the game uh, and yeah. count the yeah. score. Yeah. Right, and uh, it's much more engaging. And then we need a meeting structure because um, meetings are the stage for the executive, and uh, we basically do our work through meetings. We we catalyze, we coach people, we make decisions, we engage people uh, through meetings. And we need a meeting structure. It's not enough to run a weekly meeting. We need to have a daily stand up. We need to look at our numbers every month uh, and our rocks. And uh, we need, you know, coreless strategic meetings, annual planning meetings. So we need a meeting structure in the organization. And if you have that, if everyone uh, is working on achieving your fast rocks, if people are keeping score and there's a meeting structure so that we are communicating well and we are holding each other accountable, then there's no way of the company not performing uh, really well
0: so you whispered the magic word i was looking for there accountable so you were you were saying hold each other accountable uh, talk to us a little more about your view on the way accountability can can be created inside a company
1: so the old way of accountability is the top down so the the boss is holding everyone accountable uh, below them so it's all on the bus to do the heavy lifting of, you know, forcing performance out of people. And we, we believe that this is not how A players and A potentials like to operate. Um, people uh, want to uh, be successful, especially A players who are, you know, who have the ambition, the drive to to do a good job, who fit your culture. They want to be successful. They signed up for your mission, for your purpose, and they are energized by being part of your culture. So they they want the company to succeed. So it's not a question of forcing them to do anything. It's about keeping score uh, on the team and making sure that it's transparent how everyone is doing and let the peer pressure do the heavy lifting of of accountability. No one wants to let the team down and accountability happens. You basically, um, you create a structure for great people that help them be successful. That's what accountability is. It's not. It's not about uh, composure.
0: I like that because uh, that is a, a a question that comes up frequently from leaders and managers I work with. They they they're struggling with the idea of creating accountability, and inevitably, what has happened is over the last so many years just just the word itself accountability or creating accountable situations carries a lot of negative connotation and it is from that top down lens that i think the negativity comes the implication is when i give you your scorecard as part of our accountability system if you haven't achieved certain things there will be consequences and there's that very you know, negative enforcement of the standard. And so the, the more, I call them enlightened leaders that are out there now are trying to look for ways to where they can eliminate all of that negativity and yet create the relationship with employees that good work gets done and, and objectives and goals and forward progress happens.
1: I mean think about uh, professional sports so in in soccer if someone is not scoring goals not giving passes not defending well it's quite obvious that they are not helping the team it's not it's not a question of any uh, personal conflict it's who is supporting the team it's same you know same in in football same in basketball if you're not contributing to the team in a measurable way then you probably don't have a place on the team because you are taking up space for someone else who could contribute. So, um, you know, A players uh, want to be measured because they want to know that it's not just them who is performing with everyone else so that the team can win.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And uh, recently I had a guest on the show. His name was Jeff Cohen, and he actually wrote a book that he calls um, being count-onable. So he he turns the lens to the individual, and in your case, we'll call it the A-players. You know, the, the, the question ought to become not, am I being held accountable, but- Can I be counted on? Can I be counted on by the people around me and, you know, carry my load, manage my desk, my workstation, my area. Can I do what I need to do to contribute to the greater good and change the whole discussion and dynamic? And often it's a matter of going back to the purpose that we talked about earlier is uh, even when you're talking about the measurements, the KPIs and then the uh, measurement metrics that you're going to be looking at, you, you point those back at the whole purpose and say, are we achieving our purpose? Exactly. Yeah, you you got it. So this valuable thing. there. So one one more pillar in the Pinnacle model, you've got profit. I, I Maybe that's obvious, maybe not, but go ahead and explain the, the context in your model. So listen, profit is the lifeblood of any business. So
1: without profit, a business cannot innovate, it cannot take advantage of opportunities, and it cannot look after its people and its shareholders. So we have to have profit. And if you have a people, if you have a, an organization where you have the right people um, and they are being coached uh, in the right seats and you, they are powered by your purpose and they execute their playbooks and everyone's performing at a high level, you're gonna be a profitable, unless you are in a dying business, you're gonna be profitable. Mm-hmm. And then the question becomes, how do you actually achieve an elite level of profitability and and we benchmark your business to the top 16 uh, percent, um, the top septile top seven, one seventh of the players in the uh, industry, and see how they are doing. And we we aspire to achieve, engineer the business so that we deliver that level of profitability, and then we create this intertwined, um, intertwined strategy stack. It's a, a stack of differentiated strategies that together. Are going to create this motor around your business. It's going to be super hard for anyone to copy your business. Think about IKEA. Um, they have all those differentiators. They have the big uh, warehouse stores next to motorways. They got uh, the winding uh, all shopping experience. They have the Swedish meatballs. They got the obviously the most important is the design and the uh, you know the self assembled furniture. And these, these are possible to copy, but they also have their supply chain that is not visible to the outside world. And these together create an uncopyable combination. I, I did the research and the, se- the largest competitor of IKEA, Yisk, they are one-tenth of the size of IKEA. The second largest competitor, Kika, is the one-twentieth of their size. And they've been dominating the furniture business the last 40 to 50 years. Uh, And the owner was the, uh, I think it's, yeah, the owner was the richest person in Europe for for several years. So that's the kind of thing um, that you can do if you have a good strategy stack. Uh, You can look at, you know, Starbucks, they are in their own universe. So how do you create this category one industry player uh, by differentiating and uh, creating sustainable high profits?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and you know, creating that unique space in the market that is typified by the that total uniqueness of what you're doing and how you're doing it. That of course is the is the huge um, differentiator that creates the so-called exponential growth type company. Let me ask you this: when uh, when you might first begin working with an owner, you know, a small business, you know, maybe they've made it to a certain level of revenue. Is there a, a logical sequence of events that you go through assessing or doing, I guess, what I would call a health check to advise what they need to start on first? Did you read the book? Not yet. I haven't. <laughs> okay,
1: because yeah, you got it. So we basically uh, do Kind of a health audit uh, of the company so we touch every area we look at uh, you know the people purpose performance playbook profit every area of the company uh, do they have the vision do they have the execution in place do they have playbooks where are they with their people their structure and so on and we put together a customized journey for them what is what are the you know the the biggest levers that we can pull so that we give them the biggest uh, lift um, up front, um, and uh, and then we start uh, t- start working on all the principles and and kind of in a concentric, concentric circle we we go and we we make it bigger and bigger over time. Um, and there are, you know, we have uh, certain tools that every company needs, and then we have a lot of other tools that we can bring to bear wherever is needed to come uh, for for that business, and it's kind of a cura- curation because you know the typical business owner uh, they read all the books, they heard all the speakers, and they they have already tried to implement a lot of their ideas, but uh, but it's it can be very confusing and it's very hard to sustain without a coherent system that uh, pulls it all together. So that's kind of the skeleton, the, sh- the chassis, the pinnacle system that allows you to then integrate uh, all those. Ideas that you need for your business in a digestible format.
0: You know, I uh, I don't know what it is in the universe right now, but I'm I'm going through a season in my own business where I I run into owners who are interested in engaging, but inevitably the first thing that comes out of their mouth is not so much about I'm not hitting my profit goals or I'm not productive or I've got turnover it's none of that what the owners are complaining about is I don't have time you know they're saying I'm 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 buried in the weeds I'm admitting that and of course as we've heard often and I, I think it is mentioned specifically in in uh, Gino's book about traction the whole notion of work on the business not in the business and um what what do you find as you're talking to these owners and and coming how- how do you tackle the question of them having time?
1: Well, we only have twenty four hours right it's It's very democratic uh, in that way that everyone, whether you're a rich person or a poor person you have twenty four hours a day so what uh, what you want to do is you want the business owner to do uh, only those Tasks that only they can do that is the most valuable so for a business owner. Well, typically, the most valuable things are strategizing, figuring out we have to take the company, um, you know, figuring out which markets to tackle, what you know, which products to introduce. These really high level things, uh, but when you're starting up, you're wearing all the hats, so you're doing everything, you're managing yourself, and then you're supposed to be leading yourself as well. And what Michael Gerber kind of uh, put his finger on it, that you have to start working on the business, right, just in the business. So the process is all about shifting the burden of leadership and management of the business owner to the leadership team, and then onto the middle management and uh, further down in the organization. Yeah. So helping, um, you're teaching the leadership team members to be able to lead people to make decisions to solve problems uh, to to have, to improve their judgment uh, to be you know to uh, to improve their people's skills and then to model this behavior further on in the organization that's that's kind of a process of elevating. Uh, I always like to tell my leadership teams that okay this is a 10 million dollar revenue company you want to 5x this business in five years you want to go to 50 million guess what? Each one of you will have to be five times more impactful in this company, for for you to be on the leadership team of the fifty million dollar company. So it's your responsibility to grow your impact, grow your um, uh, your influence, and your capabilities by delegating, by learning new stuff, by by uh, elevating yourself uh, to higher value activities.
0: Yeah. I agree. And that is a a very good message and a good way to put it, that uh, whatever multiple they're looking for, it it has to get down to to their ability as well. So finding the ways to 3x, 5x, 10x, whatever that is that they're shooting for, they got to look in the mirror and see what it's going to take for them to do that same growth. Well, Steve, this has been great. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, Tell people the best way to get a hold of you if they're looking for more information.
1: So my website is stevepreda.com, S-T-E-V-E-P-R-E-D-A.com. And you can can download the summaries of my books. Uh, There is a a pinnacle journey assessment. So you can assess your company, where you are on this journey. you can also um, you know connect through to amazon and and uh, buy my books there if if you want. And you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Steve Prada. Um, I'm happy to connect on LinkedIn and you can reach out and we can talk that way.
0: Very good. One last time again, Steve, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Doug. it's it's been fun. Likewise, likewise. Well, folks, uh, we're going to wrap this up. I do want to remind everybody, if you're listening to this audio on your favorite streaming channel, we are available also on YouTube by video over at a channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. And I want to put a plug in. uh, This show is also now being featured over on the IBGR network. It's a uh, global network of uh, uh, broadcasters and show hosts, That's IBGR.network. That's how you can get it on the web. Uh, This particular show is being featured on Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern time on the IBGR Network broadcast. So hop in over there. If you're um, out more remotely from where you might otherwise be, you can always pick us up there. So look forward to uh, seeing you there. And for now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.